welcome to the HR Grapevine podcast. I am Kieran Howells, your host. I'm the deputy editor here at HR Grapevine, and I am joined today by the fantastic Liam Souter, who is, of course, the online editor at HR Grapevine. And we're going to be doing a little bit of a relaxed fit podcast today. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a chat. Like everyone else, uh, we were a bit exhausted after the year that we just had. And so we thought that we would take this opportunity to look back at some of the top trends of 2021 and also mull over what they mean for 2022. So, Liam, thank you so much for joining me, mate. It is great to be chatting with you today. Yeah, thanks very much, Kieran. Great to be here as well. And uh, yeah, looking forward to looking over the uh, year that's gone by and um, ahead to next year as well. Yeah, it's been a bit of a weird one, hasn't it? And there is lots to discuss. So I think first things first, the obvious thing to chat about is hybrid working. So it's been a year of majority hybrid working, I would say, for most people. But just as people have started to look at returning to the office or start making plans for that, we are, of course, now back into the recommendation of working from home, which looks like it will be in place for at least the start of 2022. So what do you think about that, Liam? Long term remote working, is it something that we're going to see going forward? Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, this past week or so has shown that even though a lot of companies were planning to have some element of hybrid working going forward, these past few days have shown that it really is vital for every company and every HR department to really have a set structure in place for the foreseeable future. I really don't foresee that this will be the last time we see a new strain of COVID sort of threaten that office working environment. Yeah, you make a really good point there that you don't want to be ping-ponging backwards and forwards infinitely going, okay, we're all working from home. Okay, we're all in the office. Okay, we're all working from home as new strains come up. I looked up a a very small amount of data before uh, recording this podcast. And some of the interesting stats that I found were that 91% of workers are strongly in favour of flexible working indefinitely. Um, 77% of remote workers report actually being more productive and 88% of companies, of course, had to go remote in COVID. So it's definitely something that everyone has the capabilities for, right? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, even though it seems like not that long ago that the the first lockdown happened and the pandemic broke out, it's almost been two years now. And that's been two years of getting used to these new sort of working structures. And so I think Definitely going forward now, it's something that is going to be easier to implement every time. But I think going forward, it's going to, as I said, be you know simpler and just second nature, really, to get used to that sort of hybrid working structure between the office and home workers at the same time. Yeah, sure. We've definitely kind of got more used to it, haven't we? But there are obviously still challenges that we face. So, for example, you know, nearly 20 percent of remote workers report actually being really quite lonely at home and kind of cut off. Some people are still, the example that we've given so many times is like working on either a kitchen counter or an ironing board or something like that. And that's just not sustainable. And of course, the other side of things is that people are working a lot longer hours now as those lines between work and home life have blurred a little bit. People are working in the UK an average of two extra hours per day. So I guess that puts the onus for 2022 
on HR to ensure that if this is going to be a really long term thing, we are making sure that the rules are in place to stop you know, these kind of detrimental effects happening and, and therefore as well, opening up the office to people for whom, uh, you know, mental health and well-being in the long term is going to be affected by being from home. Yeah, absolutely. You know, HR departments have had to put all their resources for a long amount of time into figuring out how to get hybrid working right. And that sort of put less of an onus on, you know, the well-being of staff. And as you've said, it's sort of slowly started to creep up on everyone, the sort of mental effects of the isolation and that inability to, you know, have a cutoff point of leaving the office after a stressful day and heading home. You know, you don't have that anymore, really. You've got, if you've had a really bad day at work, you, you log off your computer and you're still in your living room or you're still in your kitchen. You know, these little things that HR is really going to have to implement into their hybrid structures for 2022 is that mental well-being aspect. Yeah, I mean, the good news is that, okay, although HR has kind of a big journey ahead of it, as we move on to the second point, actually, you know, perfectly dovetails here, and that is that HR has taken much more of a centre stage. People-focused initiatives within our companies have really climbed up the C-suite agenda. So I guess, Liam, that HR does have probably more of a chance now to affect big change with the kind of sway that they have within companies. Oh, yeah, certainly. Whether it's, you know, little things like allowing staff the time off for mental health or going out to get jabs or the booster jabs, as we're seeing this month, etc. You know, HR really has stepped up and lived up to its name, really. And, you know, not just been focusing on like policies and, you know, bureaucracy, but really looking at each individual employee and figuring out how to improve their experience over what's been an incredibly difficult time for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And that buy-in that they've gained from other senior leaders, it does give you a bit more to play with, doesn't it? Because leaders now don't just see these things as nice-to-haves, but actually quite essential elements of running their business. Absolutely. And, and you know, even though we've never experienced anything like this pandemic before, there is precedent for HR following like really difficult periods. The not-too-distant past, you know, we all remember the recession in 2008. And at that time, Tanuj Kapilashrami, who's the group head of HR at Standard Chartered Bank, he was quoted as saying, the financial crisis of 2008 relied on CFOs to help their companies, but the companies that will come out stronger from COVID will be those that have a strong HR function. So basically what he's saying there is obviously giving examples of how leaders in these industries you know, have really stepped up to the plate and how HR can, can learn from the past, I suppose, and see themselves as like, the role models for their staff going forward. So I guess the next thing that we should really discuss and the, the, the third point of the podcast is the talent crisis, right? I mean, this is something else which has been absolutely dominating news cycles and it's been a massive headache for HR. So one in four have either left or are considering leaving their roles, according to uh, Randstad data. That's pretty shocking numbers, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure most of the listeners have heard it referred to by now as the great resignation. And this isn't exclusive to the UK by any means. You know, we're seeing millions of people across the world sort of now looking to leave their jobs over the course of the pandemic. You know, whether that's because they might have normally been looking for a new role last year, but life was put on hold for a certain amount of time, or whether it's that the company doesn't align with their ethics or morals anymore. You know, they might have seen something that the company's done during the pandemic that's made them sort of really question where they want to go with their careers and personal lives. And yet, in terms of like the amount of people that are 
sort of leaving roles. You know, I, I personally was one of them. You know, I left my previous role over the summer and came here and learned about the HR world and everything. So I know firsthand just what it's like to be caught up in that and think, you know, now is a great opportunity to look for a new career path. As you say, though, and it's, you know, it's funny that you should bring up your own personal example because I didn't really think about that. It's affected by people who, some of whom probably would have left their role over the last couple of years anyway and stayed put. But other people just want more from their company than they were getting, whether that's kind of uh, more money or just a better company culture. These are kind of things that are really important to people and people aren't willing to just stay put right now when there are so many other jobs out there, so many other people competing for their employment, I guess. So what do you think, Liam, are some of the ways that businesses can attract top talent at the moment, considering how many job roles there are out there and how many companies there are to choose from? Obviously, a lot of companies over the past year have been looking at, you know, some unique ways that they can keep hold of the talent that they've currently got or even look at new talent because obviously places like the hospitality and the haulage industries have particularly really suffered. And so obviously, for example, like Aldi and Tesco have been among some of the firms offering, you know, huge sign-on bonuses for HGV and lorry drivers, you know, upwards of a thousand pounds that we've seen them offer just to get new drivers through the door and ease these issues that we've been seeing. Restaurant chains like Hawksmoor, for example, they launched quite a unique scheme that offered out cash bonuses based on referrals. So if you were an existing Hawksmoor employee and you referred a candidate and they got the job, then you would both receive some sort of financial incentive from that. So, you know, there's really unique ways that they can show staff that we want to keep you and, you know, we want to get more people through the door at the same time as well. And I guess that actually dovetails really nicely with the fifth point that we're talking about here, which is the strong voice of the workforce. The workforce now has so much more sway in their companies than they did before because people are acutely aware of the fact that they could go and find another company to work for. So something like ESG is also something that's really, really important to prospective candidates and also to keep your talent within the company. So, for example, millennial and Gen Z generations They're going to make up 72% of the world's workforce compared to 52% in 2019. So these are people who really care about ESG initiatives. So making sure that your company is one of the companies that is offering a strong ESG initiative is, is really important and is going to help you attract talent. I guess the other thing that we've seen really interesting recently in the kind of conversation about the strong voice of the workforce is companies actually going back on decisions based on what their people have said, the kind of internal rebellions that have happened. What do you reckon about those, Liam? Yeah, I completely agree. The voice of the workforce has really seen a massive shift in its power and influence over the past few months. And in the past week alone, we've seen some huge examples of it. For example, Goldman Sachs and Future Publishing, they obviously are both very different industries, but they both made a very similar and quite controversial decision following the government's announcement of these so-called Plan B COVID measures. Obviously, part of that was uh, guidance to return to home working where possible. You know, the heads of these companies basically came out and said, we're not going to do that. They wanted all their staff in the office. A lot of their staff at both companies 
reacted very strongly to that, raised their concerns. They didn't feel that it was safe to do so, you know, with the rising numbers of the, the new COVID variants. And, you know, within hours of both those decisions coming out, they issued statements saying that they'd changed their minds. You know, they'd done complete U-turns, whereas in the past, any big business decisions like that, it's completely common for them to ignore that sort of like the boardroom knows best. And I think that really goes back to what we were saying earlier, the talent crisis, you know, it ties in really with that because they know that these people are no longer afraid to go, okay, I don't agree with your decisions, so I'm going to go and look elsewhere for a new company that really does align with my sort of moral values. It's such an interesting couple of cases there. And I guess that for those who are worried that they might end up in a similar situation, the obvious answer there is just to talk to your people about these kind of decisions before making them and announcing them to the world and then having to go back on them. We we live in an age, exactly as you said there, Liam, where maybe the boardroom doesn't know best anymore. You know, maybe we actually have to listen to people first and foremost before we make decisions and then act based on that. And of course, that leads us really nicely into our final point, which we've titled the unknown big exclamation mark. Of course, 2022 is a massive, massive unknown and probably a kind of monolithic pillar of anxiety for many, many HR leaders at the moment. But there are, of course, certain ways that people can navigate it properly. So, for example, as we were just saying there, talking to your people just doing that, just being honest with them, being honest about the amount of uncertainty there is out there. That kind of communication is going to be absolutely essential going forwards, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, even heads of government aren't really sure what's going on. And, you know, medical experts don't know, you know, when things are going to be changing and how rapidly. So it's I think it's a bit unreasonable for employees to expect that even the most adept CEO to know where their company is going to be going in the in the next few months or the next couple of years or so. But I think what they really value, as you said, is that honesty for HR departments to say, look, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to do our best to get through it and we're going to support you all the way through that. And I think that honesty sort of gives employees a real sense of not just support but they feel more of a team and it's more of a community like you're all sort of weathering the storm together and getting through this as one rather than just you're working to survive through it it's a a surefire way to get the best out of your staff really is that honesty yeah i completely agree and and as you said there the communities the culture it's not impossible to do with with the right tech in hand. Actually, you can still create very strong cultures. I mean, we as a company have hired so many people over the last two years who we've only really, apart from a couple of company meetups, spoken to or interacted with digitally. But we've still got a very strong company culture. So I guess the people who are afraid that that is something that could suffer just need to kind of revise their expectations of what culture is and maybe work in different ways to support it? That's definitely the case, I would say, yeah. And as you said there, on a personal level, I'm one of the ones who has been hired. You know, I started working here during the pandemic and I've only you know, met you guys and the rest of the company, you know, two or three times in, in six months. And even so, you know, we still have a great way of engaging and, you know, getting the job done. And yeah, that's, as I said, that, that sort of level of communication it's just something that is clearly going to be the way forward and sort of weathering whatever comes in our way in 2022, I suppose. 
Well, Liam, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for sharing your own experiences there. Well, I think we should probably just about wrap up now. Um, it's been a, a very interesting conversation. I hope for our audience this has been an interesting kind of look at the year ahead and the year behind us. And I don't know about you, Liam, I think it's justifiable now to start saying Merry Christmas to people. Yeah, I've been saying it since November, so it's perfectly fine <laughs> for me. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, yeah, as I said, thank you so much for listening to the HR Grapevine podcast. It's a podcast that's brought to you to discuss the issues in HR of the day. We'll be back in 2022. It's a very strange thing to say. So head back to the website in the new year and we will catch you then.